From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 34 of Free and Inspire Radio. Welcome to you if you've just joined us. If this is your first episode, I hope you've had a great week. Everyone's surviving the last supermoon of the year and everything it entails. And our episode this week is looking at something that's very close to my heart, and I wonder if it's the same for you, meditation, and specifically meditation in 2022, and whether or not it's actually a better option than medication for mental health and longevity. Now, this question has been asked many times over the last decade specifically, and whether or not, the question being obviously whether or not medication is, meditation is more effective than medication in managing your mental health and health in general, I'm starting to feel as if meditation might actually be in the same group of outliers as exercise in the sense that it really does cover quite a large quantity of bases in relation to the, or kind of in contrast or relation to the amount of effort you put in, if you like. Now, I've put together a small workup about meditation's role in the brain when talking about some of the personal responsibility you can take for stress in episode 15. And in that episode, I promised I'd do a deeper dive and feel like the time is right. So let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Lifetime, life, lifetime, lifestyle practices such as medica- meditation are the cornerstone of taking control of your health. No pills, no potions, just you taking action like the sovereign that you are, and that's what we're all about here on Free Inspired Radio, personal sovereignty, right? Meditation can enhance your attention, memory, mood, and your ability to regulate your emotions, all big things in mental health. Systematic reviews on meditation have also found beneficial effects on anxiety, depression, and chronic pain scores. So it's not just elements of your cognitive function and your executive function, if you managed to listen to the episode from last week, but also therapy within these conditions, anxiety, depression, and chronic pain as well. Not only this, but other physical effects were present. Uh, One meta-analysis, so if you knew the term meta-analysis, it's where multiple studies are brought together to draw more concrete solutions. One meta-analysis brought together 12 studies with nearly 1,000 participants demonstrating meditation and its positive role in reducing blood pressure, which I believe is still the leading indicator and origin of death in the world, which is nuts. If you're one of those people, fact check that for me, leave me a comment wherever you listen to this. I'm pretty sure blood pressure is still one of the leading indicators of early mortality. Anyway. 
Another study also saw significant reductions in the stress hormone cortisol and in a study looking at people participating in just a weekend meditation workshop. So this wasn't a huge period of time. It was just people meditating on the weekend saw their cortisol levels go down. And if you're new to cortisol and why managing cortisol can help, episode 19 of Freelance by Radio will help you with that. Other physical benefits include improved confidence within the immune system, decreases in inflammatory chemicals called interleukins, and increases in anti-inflammatory chemicals, also called interleukins, and markers of metabolic syndrome, such as insulin resistance. Now, that was a new one even for me. So this is why uh, putting together these episodes are not only, uh, you know, uh, benefit to everyone, but they also help me learn more, which is fantastic. And who would have thought managing insulin resistance via meditation? But some cool, cool stuff there. Another study found that mindfulness-based stress reduction improved symptoms and associated problems in irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And in this study, 71% of the respondents saw three out of five of their symptoms improve. So look, once again, I mean, IBS, as you know, if you follow this show, is a big part of what we look at here. We're very concerned with the gut and the brain and their individual experiences, but also their combined experiences. And this is a good example of where the, you know, you obviously meditate a lot for your brain health, mental health, etc. but then that can really radiate back into some of your digestive symptoms as well. So that's a really cool bonus there. But what exactly is meditation? Now, I think that's probably the first thing I should have brought up before even going into the benefits of it. But I pulled the simplest definition of meditation I could from a Guy Ritchie film called Layer Cake, which if you are interested in pop culture, I believe Layer Cake was the film that convinced the producers of James Bond to cast Daniel Craig. Um, but anyway, that's a side note. Uh, Layer Cake, there was a really cool the, um, conversation in that film and the quote, meditation is doing something simple so that the rest of the mind can relax. Now, I think for most people, the breath or listening to yourself breathe is something simple that you can do to help yourself relax. But for a lot of people, exercise or something else can also be quite meditative as well and that's why i like this definition doing something simple so the rest of the mind can relax meditation for some can represent a monk living in a cave sitting in the lotus position completely shut off from the world it can also seem a little woo and ethereal to most but over the last decade these stigmatized views have evolved and i think i noticed this evolution I guess the most when Tim Ferriss is probably well known to a lot of you or uh, who's a respected author and angel investor released his book Tribe of Mentors. Now, if you're new to Tim Ferriss in this book, the book's premise was to send the same 11 questions to 140 of the top performers in their fields. So people from sports people to venture capitalists, business people, you name it. Now, the aim of the book was to see if we could draw it or Tim could see if Tim could draw together the common themes amongst these people and their behavior. Definitely a fantastic read if you feel like that's something that will benefit you. But why is it appropriate for an episode about meditation? Well, I'm sure you're kind of seeing this coming, but one of the typical traits amongst nearly all of the top performers interviewed was their daily meditation practice. And this is just one of the key points in the case of meditation. It's not just for you if you're feeling unwell, it's for people looking to level up the quality of their life as well. 
So look, let's take a deeper look at some of the research of how meditation helps. The first reason that made me want to bring up meditation in a more detailed fashion was the evidence of how it changes the anatomy and wiring of our brains. Now, I have this conversation with patients daily, just guaranteed. It's something that I go through on a very, very regular basis. This change in the brain involves a process called neuroplasticity that you may have heard of before. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the nervous system to respond to internal and external stimuli by reorganizing its structure, functions, and connections. An easy way to think about that is the electrician who's rewiring a house and they're able to change all of those circuits to get, you know, still get the same result but in a better, more effective way. Although neuroplasticity has been bubbling away since the late 90s with the Dalai Lama's work in neuroscience and combining spirituality and neuroscience, I remember the first book I read specifically about neuroplasticity was released in 20, 2007 and that was called the, the Brain That Changes Itself. Now, Norman Dodge, the author, detailed some of the miraculous ways the brain recovered from illness and injury, something that neuroscience actually didn't think initially was possible. Now, if you're interested in neuroplasticity, that's probably one of the more mainstream landmark books around it. Although, as I said, I think the Dalai Lama's work with neuroscience and psychology that originally, I think originated in the late 90s is also a really interesting place to visit if you wanted to. Meditation practices are associated with two main changes in the brain. The first is the most pertinent for mental health, especially depression and anxiety, and it involves the change in the structure of the amygdala, which is a little peanut-looking structure in the part of the brain that regulates your emotions, and in particular, yeah, the amygdala relates to or regulates excuse me, your fear response. Now, meditation can change the part of the brain that can cause you to react negatively, i.e. the amygdala. Let me explain. So generally, if you're looking at how stress affects the body, you don't have to go too far to hear about cortisol. Regulating cortisol became, at one stage, the most important thing to do as adrenal fatigue, something now proven not to exist. Thank you, big shout out to Carrie Jones, Dr. Carrie Jones, excuse me, who was the first person that allowed, you know, made me feel a lot more comfortable about expressing my little soapbox about adrenal fatigue at the time. Um, yeah, look... It swept the natural and functional medicine community. Everyone was concerned about lowering cortisol, but didn't really address exactly why cortisol was high in the first place. Now, in this case, cortisol's main job is actually at the end of the stress response, and that stress response is started by uh, adrenaline, and it is started by adrenaline on the order of the amygdala within the brain. So the way I explain this to my patients is that the amygdala decides whether or not you care about something or, in a more crude fashion, whether or not you give an F-word. In some conditions, such as PTSD, for example, the amygdala can remain reactive and active even in the absence of the original event. Now, just I'm just going to repeat that because it's really important. In some conditions, such as PTSD, the amygdala can remain reactive and active even in the absence of the original event. And in some cases, this will trigger similar physical responses to the trauma in the process. That's crazy. And in a lesser sense, for example, in people with anxiety, this reactivity may not be on the level that we see in PTSD. 
However, it can still muddle our ability to differentiate how we interpret things in our environment as either safe or unsafe, which is obviously a huge thing for anxiety. Now, the, the bigger thing here is that the, these changes in the amygdala's reactivity also present in things like social anxiety, anxiety and depression, and along with, as I mentioned, varying degrees of PTSD. And it really does kind of bring new meaning to it's all in your head, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost literal. Now, the amygdala seems to be the exact area of the brain that causes you to overreact to something, even when you know it's not necessary or appropriate, but it's almost like you have no choice. And maybe that sounds familiar to you. I know that I've overreacted in times over my course of my life, and uh, but really wondered why. And sometimes it might mean that your amygdala is almost primed to do so. Well, the good news here is that the work of Harvard researchers have found that 10 minutes of meditation over eight uh, weeks can unlock a neuroplasticity effect changing the level of reactivity, activity, and structure of the amygdala in some cases by about 60 to 70%, which is nuts. Eight weeks of 10 minutes of meditation can unlock a neuroplasticity effect on the brain, changing the level of reactivity, activity, and the structure of the amygdala by about 60 to 70%. That is nuts. So that's just 60 days to change the structure of your brain. Now, I love all this stuff, you might be able to tell, but we've got so much more coming up in this episode, I just want to take a quick break. Stay tuned, after the break we'll be looking at the difference between meditation and mindfulness, along with a really interesting and unexpected side effect of meditation that can help you become a better person for those around you, which is kind of cool. So stay tuned, we'll be right back in a minute or so. Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes, welcome back to episode 34 of Free and Inspired Radio, where we're looking at all things meditation. So we've covered some of the cool ways that meditation can change your brain and how it can help you with some mental health conditions, but a common question around the meditation conversation is where mindfulness fits into all of this. And uh, let's look at the difference between mindfulness and meditation first for this next part of the show. So what is the difference? Now, the choices around which meditation practices to choose are broad, but it's fair to say the mindfulness meditation, especially in the context of our episode here, is the most popular. But what is that difference? So an easy way to think about it, or at least in my interpretation, is that meditation is the collective term for meditation techniques like mindfulness. So mindfulness is a technique of meditation, just like time-restricted eating is a technique of intermittent fasting, which to often get interlinked, don't they? So other techniques that come under this collective term of meditation are acceptance and compassion meditation, metta or loving kindness meditation from Buddhism, and transcendental meditation, the form of meditation I initially used in my late teens. 
John Kabat-Zinn, often referred to as the godfather of mindfulness meditation, defines mindfulness as the non-judgmental awareness of present moment experiences. And mindfulness is focus on presence and non-judgment, in my opinion, can help make sense, a lot of sense of a very chaotic modern world, a world that's actually often jostling for your attention and engagement whether you want it or not. We've already covered some of the benefits of mindfulness meditation earlier in this episode, but still to gather more in the context of mindfulness, mindfulness meditation has been associated with enhancements in emotional regulation, lowered intensity and and frequency of negative emotion, and improved positive mood states. So look, even if you're not clinically depressed, clinically anxious, etc., etc., Lowering the intensity and frequency of negative emotion and improving positive mood states sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? But it's not just you who gets to benefit, and this is one of my favorite new studies. Mindfulness is evidence that points to you becoming a better person for those around you. Now, this study I mentioned is was released at the end of July 2022, so if you're listening to this episode as it's been released, that's probably just under three weeks ago. And it articulates how mindfulness and the presence that it brings changes your relationships. In order to kind of give some context to this, we have to visit a concept in psychology called self-prioritization. Self-prioritization is, refers to how humans prioritize stimuli related to themselves instead of others. Whilst we would like to think that we put others first, self-prioritization is generally accepted to be part of our mental health, and whilst poorly understood, it kind of makes sense. The, that is, until this interesting study questioned the existence of self-prioritization, um, um, and as I said, it basically suggests that um, mindfulness meditation reduces self-bias, especially regarding our interactions with others. So the the study's results, regardless, it was actually quite a small study, but regardless of its size, the study found that a small five-minute mindfulness meditation practice eliminated a pre-stimulus bias towards self versus friends, increased response caution, so thinking about what you're saying before you say it, and the rate at which evidence is drawn from friend-related interactions or you're actually interested in what someone's saying to you and you ask more questions to gather more information, to learn more about what the people are going through that are talking to you. So that can't be a bad thing. To translate these results further, this innovative study shows that you can become more present in your interactions with the friends and those around you by engaging in mindfulness meditation. Now, whether you agree or disagree, in a world that seems predisposed to express its opinion at every opportunity, we could all benefit from taking ourselves out of the equation at times, being present and listening to what those around us have to say, maybe without judgment. Wow, that'd be a big deal. What do you think? One of the more exciting and unexpected parts of meditation from my experience has been the ability to be a better listener. I would go as far as saying that I'm finding this form of presence that it brings more and more addictive. And interestingly, if I can speak on personal experience, I don't think I got this type of presence as much with transcendental meditation as I did with mindfulness. So look, that's just an N equals one there for you. 
but uh, I certainly, since I switched to a more mindful, mindfulness-oriented meditation practice, I've found my sense of presence to be quite remarkably different, actually. But there you go. That's just me, right? Wonder if uh, if you've had that same experience. Hey, leave a comment. Let me know. Let's let's make it a conversation. Have you noticed that sometimes being in a com- yeah, that you can sometimes be in a conversation with someone simply waiting for you to finish? so that they can reply, seemingly not actually listening at all. Now, we all do it, and we, whether we think we are or not, but I'm here to say that just a short period spent engaging in meditation practice of your choice can release you from this and allow you to be more present. Watch and experience how your relationships with others change over time when you simply become more interested and listen and maybe even inquire more. And that's just one of the cool parts of what meditation can bring outside of the research and the science and some of these things on physical and mental health. So one of the initial questions here, what's the difference or the question of meditation versus medication? Now, I've got to be careful to not mess up these terms and start using them interchangeably in the wrong context, but I'll try my best. Bear with me. So throughout this episode, we've looked at how meditation and one of its techniques, mindfulness, can help you to improve the symptoms of anxiety, depression, and its symptoms also such as rumination, worry, and emotional suppression. That's not to mention some of the physical changes such as decreases in blood pressure, inflammation, and insulin resistance. In some cases, such as the Harvard Mindfulness course that we mentioned, these changes have been seen in just eight weeks. Eight weeks, everybody. I'm happy to be challenged on this, but I feel hard-pressed to think of a medication that can achieve all of this within the same time. What do you think? Meditation should not replace your medication. I'm just going to repeat that again. Meditation should not replace your medication. If you are already benefiting from the medication or you've had it prescribed for a specific period by your doctor or specialist, if this is the case, then meditation can serve two roles for you. The first is to amplify the benefits and therapeutic effects of your medication. There's no reason why the two can't synergistically exist for you. You don't have to swap one for the other. Meditation and medication can coexist. The second is to use meditation to maintain the benefits you've received from medication after the medication has helped you to get the stability and balance you've been looking for over the long term. Not only this, meditation offers you something that you can do on your own terms in either the situations that we've alluded to just then or just to have a better quality of life. And we touched on this a little bit in our executive function episode last week, but these are the types of things that you can do without spending money, without going and buying expensive courses and all of those types of things. Now, Speaking of expensive courses, <laughs> if you're ready to give meditation a try as part of a special offer to help people get started, my favorite meditation app, uh, Waking Up, run by the neuroscientist Sam Harris, is provides a free 29-day introductory course so that you can go and get started on finding out if you like it or not. I will try and put a link to that in all of the descriptions of uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, etc. This episode is definitely not sponsored by Waking Up. I have worked with them in the past, but as a regular user of the app myself, I just thought why not share the love 
offer some insight into how and offer some insight into how it reinvigorated my meditation practice, which it most certainly did. And just a small note on free courses. I started meditation when I was 17 off the back of a free day offered by a meditation school in Melbourne and I'm indebted to that day and once again it was time for me to start meditating over the pandemic again. It's something that I know a lot of people have picked up again and waking up with their free introductory course allowed me to facilitate starting meditation again and hopefully it might offer you the same thing and this episode may have brought some insights into how meditation may be able to help you within your own personal sovereignty. Before we finish this free and inspired radio episode, if you would love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcasts and more, jump over to my website, philipwatkins.health and join the community via the newsletter there. The ebook about probiotics in the brain or psychobiotics should be ready for you to download if you do join the community so that's something from me to you your reviews as always on apple podcasts and spotify help me to get the word on the street and if you're listening to this on youtube throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new podcast is uploaded thank you to the person that subscribed on youtube this week it is a very slow drip and every person that presses subscribe makes me very very happy even if it's just that real slow burn there so that one person thank you it makes a difference I like to send shouts, as always, to the people who get to this point in the show. This show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. I hope this gets you one step closer. And until next week, don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And we'll be back with more Free and Inspire Radio next week. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.